Welcome to the Rumpus Room. Hey, everybody. How's it going out there? We're back kicking it here in the Rumpus Room, and let's hit him with the takeaway message of the day. Uh, I think the most important thing that I have been focusing on lately is my attention, and I've been becoming extremely aware of the different attention types that I have, and I think how I've been thinking about it is the alight so you have your spotlight and then your kind of peripheral vision. Mm-hmm. And so I've been using meditation to really dig into my attention because what I've found is it's making my mental clarity go up significantly, mm-hmm. significantly. I used to be a very ADD type of person where I had a number of different things on my mind and I would actually get really emotional, really stimulated over the just stupidest thing, like thinking about high school basketball or a high school football game where I would become emotional Mm -hmm. and I'd get myself into this loop sure, and just go. And so what I've been doing is trying to control that and attention is the best way to do it. Mm -hmm. So that sustained attention and directed attention is something I'm really working towards right now. Uh, what, ex- what exactly do you mean by sustained attention and direct attention? So we have the ability to use our awareness, whether it's the focused light or the peripheral vision, how I would call awareness. And again, these terms, there's, it's, it's really difficult to describe in the English, English language, but focused attention and peripheral attention, you have the ability to direct it. Mm -hmm. to put it into the places that you want to you know when something comes up in your mind you have the ability to go with that thought or not go with that thought and what I'm realizing is my habits are really what's holding me back from having that direct control over my attention my previous mental habits oh like what Oh, just the ADD nature of trying to emotionally invest in a mental conversation So my biggest thing that I'm doing is trying to stop that, Mm -hmm. you know, rigmarole from happening. Monkey mind, as the the Buddhists say. Yeah, monkey mind. And so that's what has been interesting is what I discovered worked best for me in this little experiment is being positive on the catching of myself in this thought process and when I came back to be positive instead of negative. Sure. So rewarding the visit back to my directed attention. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. that has taken me from basically amateur, you know, very low meditation um, levels I would consider where I'm just really sitting and thinking most of the time to now moving and graduating, I feel like onto the next kind of, you know, level of meditation as I continue to explore. But I think for directed attention, that's been the biggest key for me is to be positive when I return back to my sure. attention object. Sure. So you, uh, you don't beat yourself up for the fact that you get distracted in a particular moment. Yes. So yeah. when I get distracted, and this is what I used to do. I'd say oh my God, I did it again. Mm-hmm. And I'd get like emotionally charged yeah. over that 
deal. So what I had realized is I was negatively reinforcing the return back to my breath. Sure. So my body and my mind thought... It wasn't a good thing. This is a bad thing. Yeah. And so I continued to have this unhealthy loop. And now that I've been spending the time to really cherish and find joy and, oh, I just got back to the breath. That's so great. You know, I'm rewarding myself. Sure. More, so sure, now it's happening sure. more. Yeah. And so that was a huge step for me. That's great. Huge step for me. That's great. One of my previous teachers used to always say um, to just like let go of those thoughts and not you know, necessarily like ascribe any sort of additional meaning to them or beat yourself up. And I think that was helpful to think of it as, as just actually like letting go to the thought train as opposed to like, oh, you know, I, I am doing this wrong. You know, like you sort of remove the connotation associated with a successful meditation. So, but you said something that interests me, which was, um, you're moving to the next level. How would how would you describe that progress or what what does that progress look like to you? So I think it starts with having the ability to direct attention. Uh-huh. So directing attention, then sustaining attention. Sure. So keeping your attention in one place or having that attention in one place, I think is kind of the next level so I can keep it in one area. Then there's, so this book that I read before has kind of three different levels on top of that. Mm -hmm. It's finding joy in your meditation. Mm -hmm. So it's called meditative joy. So that's where you really have, you know, you really enjoy You're like accessing bliss in the moment. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. So how do you find that? And what I love is the book actually gives you steps to get there. Sure. So once you find this meditative joy, it's really experiencing pleasure and happiness as much as you can. And the last step is what they call unification of the mind. Sure. So that's when you bring together all of your awareness and it's, you know, the state where you're constantly in. I have not experienced that yet, so I don't really know how to describe it. Yeah, I I feel like I have, but uh, it's been very sort of a fleeting moment and uh when i did experience it it was under very experienced meditative leadership and Mm. a very controlled environment with a controlled group of people and a and a breath awareness practice that was meant to be rather jarring so um you know, it's, it's, it's very fleeting though. And I certainly don't, uh, don't accumulate those types of things in my everyday, um, everyday practice. I've, I've just been getting back into my practice really. And I've just been focusing on, uh, just calming the mind, just sustained moments of, um, of, I don't want to say emptiness, but like not attaching to thought really. Well, and it's interesting you say emptiness because boredom is a big thing that you have to work through. And so you're going to become aware of this sustained attention. So mm-hmm. you're going to start to get bored. Mm-hmm. And that's really where this meditative joy is kind of the next level of how do you start to cultivate, a cultivate sense of, this yeah, yeah, joy, mindful. Yeah. And that's where mindfulness starts. The mm-hmm. true meaning of mindfulness not just meditation and like there are all, all these what I've figured out is we use all of this language very haphazardly. Yeah, oh yeah. 
And to describe the meditative experience, you need to go a lot deeper with the words you're using. A lot more specific to like even attention, like directed attention, sustained attention, you know, joy, meditative joy, like all of these things you need to describe in more detail. And obviously the best place or the, the most capable vocabulary is in some more of these Eastern traditions, which have yeah. words that are more apt to describe those feelings. Yeah. A lot of, they'd call a lot of practitioners would call that like the loving kindness, compassion sort of mm-hmm. meditation. But, uh, uh, speaking of sustained attention, uh, we're talking about the, um, I guess the self-generated ways to calm the mind. I, I couldn't help but notice um, what looked like to be popping a pill on the sixteenth after the sixteenth uh, green. Did you catch that? No. Oh, you, so did you? Did you watch the Masters? I did. Um, I believe it was going into seventeen. After Tiger had just sunk a birdie, mm-hmm. he had uh, basically had to just par. He had two stroke, two stroke lead, mm-hmm. and the camera quickly cut to him, and all you saw was the last moment of him very much looking like he was putting a pill in his mouth. You're kidding? No, and then took a little swig of water. So do you know what? There's lingering doubts of Tiger is beta blockers. Yeah, propanol. So yeah, beta blocker is yeah. is what it does is it reduces adrenaline, and so for golf that would be a perfect pill. To Ideal, take, yeah, would be a beta blocker, not yeah. an antibiotic steroid, but a no, beta no. blocker. Yeah, and there's been some some people that have been pissed that the only thing about a beta blocker though I've taken them is it would take longer for it to kick in than sixteen. Yeah, like, it yeah. It would take some time for it to sink in. I swear, though, like I literally saw his hand at his mouth, looking like he was holding a pill with two fingers, and then took a swig of water and swallowed. You're probably right. Uh, and who knows what it would be, but I I wouldn't doubt that he'd have access to some fast acting stuff. <laughs> I I I read so I've read a, uh the book Tiger Woods, which isn't like an official biography of him. But it talks about how he has been linked to the guy that did all the HGH steroids. And what he said is Tiger, somebody, some physician has said Tiger's injuries are those of somebody who would be taking steroids. Uh, Multiple knee surgeries, tons of joint issues, back issues. Mm-hmm. Not Normal golfers don't have four knee surgeries. Like you think of Phil. He, yeah. does, he hasn't had as many knee surgeries. And what they said is they think Tiger is like a pill popper. And he had this thing, which is a platelet-rich plasma injection, which is not quite stem cells, but it's on the edge. And so you, you inject it into your joint, and it's supposed to help with joint health. But there's some people around that some are speculation. saying there's, there's other things that are going into his body. And for an athlete of his caliber and his nature, I would think he... There, where there's smoke, there's fire in a lot of these situations. Sure. And you've seen him, and we've seen all the things that have come out about him. He's pushing the envelope in all areas of his life. <laughs> so, 
He certainly was. I think he's scaled that back a little bit, but uh, certain, you know, that was when he was at his peak. And have you seen the documentary Icarus? Oh, it's such a good one. So if that, you can get through the first hour, it's a great documentary. Yeah, yeah. Of him a, and his the guy, the obsessive document, the guy that does it in his body, the producer or something. Yeah, the uh, um, I, I'm halfway through it right now, but it gets it, so much better. It talks end. at lengths about the state-sponsored doping schedule and how these guys can be doped up and still pass every every drug test, and you know, there's a huge science in order to get around that and I can't even imagine how much easier it would be in a sport in a sport of golf where it's not as they don't even I don't even think they test golf I don't think they test but regardless of of what it is momentous accomplishment um and you just could not be uh obviously a lot of younger gentlemen our age are really excited to have you know thoughts of our childhood of tiger just going on absolute tears and to, to relive that moment that was that was fun but i'm not sure anybody had as much fun as jim nance oh my gosh he that was his moment the, these guys were taking it as their moment you could see them trying to say extra things in the broadcast like faldo and jim yeah trying they, to coin their moment well, it was so funny when I was watching with my cousin and there was this one reporter who was interviewing all of the other golfers as they're coming off 18. And he just goes, you know what she's thinking? Don't ask him about Tiger. Don't ask him about Tiger. Don't ask him about Tiger. And he, and she didn't. She did a great job. But that every that Bellionis chick? I don't know what her name was. Uh, but uh, every guy who came off of the tee box just said something about Tiger on their own. Really? Which I thought was pretty interesting. So apparently they start to like they're they're starting to like him on the tour because he's being more of like a personal he's a personable guy and he's not yeah. being as psycho as he used to be. Yeah. Were you pumped to see him win? You know, what was so you watched it with a couple people? What were they all? What was the general theme? Yeah, I think everybody wants to see him win. I I wouldn't mind a changing of the guard of who is undeniably the greatest golfer of all time because right now. Uh, it's sort of like, it's sort of like the LeBron James MJ thing. Like it is. Tiger Woods is, you know, deserves to is the only other person deserving of being in the same sentence as Jack. I believe Jack Nicholas is the most. Yep. Uh, and he still needs like uh, three more majors 18, or he's something. Got 15 now, yeah. yeah. So, um, it's it's the same thing with like LeBron James is like MJ had six national championships obviously the greatest player of the modern era. You could go back to Bill Russell, who I think like in the original NBA had like nine yeah, with he the Celtics. Yeah, I think some ridiculous so amount of title. That is also, so you do have to put the caveat of like of modern basketball when they expanded the league and stuff like that. Yeah, but the uh, ABA, NBA deal. So um, I, I I think it would be fun. It would It'd be great for golf, obviously. You know, the game of golf. More people would get into it. Um, it would it would be a it would be a topic of conversation. It would it might detract from the obsessive amount of discussion about the political climate. Oh my gosh, we need something new to talk about. You, yeah, and and I just said you know this is the, at least they'll be talking about this on ESPN for the next seven you know, and there's a little blip of some other ray of sunshine in our sort of media. Spin well, yeah, conundrum, you, looked, if, you know. I looked at ESPN and it's like Tiger wins the Masters, and it's like eight other people get arrested. 
you know, like this athlete got arrested. You know, yeah. that's this they're getting that way. So it's nice to see Tiger winning. Yeah, and, it's, and them like reporting on it. And come everybody loves the comeback. Comeback stories comeback are stories. I mean, that's like yeah. the most yeah. cliche saying ever. But people do like to see people come back because it's sh- it really shows his grit and resiliency. It, it's a it's a story. Uh, and who knows, in years to come they'll be making movies about this oh my god you know, well they like, made a imagine? movie about jack i can't even imagine what they're gonna do about tiger there's the, film producers that are oh, buying rights right now like crazy there's they're probably futures nuts. on the tiger unlike the tiger what Woods did you story. read about betting in tiger and no. how these casinos got fleeced oh really yeah because every there's a lot of people, a lot that of people put who bets put down on tiger, tiger and he was probably a super long 12 shot to one odds yeah, and one guy put down an eighty-five thousand million eighty-five thousand dollar bet and won one point nine million. Now that is that's a gutsy dude, and I love his it. One bet of his life, his first bet. Oh my god! From Wisconsin. That's how you do it, though. You have a feeling. You go all in on it. Gas pedal. Gas pedal. Mine would have been eighty-five k. Mine would have been Cowboys losing in that second playoff game to the Rams. Just yeah. getting absolutely destroyed. I just yeah. had that one pegged, you know. And you, like, you had it. Sometimes you're just feeling it. You know, and you just know. I think with that's why I don't bet on March Madness. Screw that. It's the worst bet you could possibly get out there. I was in March. I was in Vegas for March Madness first weekend. Uh huh. It is a shit storm, and the lines to bet are so fucking long. Well, how many? And how many are happy? Nobody's Mo- happy. Most they people look like are angry. Shit. Most people are mad. They look like shit. In the so it's so funny. So we were there for a bachelor party. The bachelor won three grand the first night. Nice, good start. And so what does he do? Puts Just it down. Gets everybody hopped up on his next bet, and we get our ass handed to oh, us. Oh no! <laughs> Iowa State cocked us totally. We all watch it because it's like all right, everybody we're gonna, throws your. We're money all gonna on it throw too. fifty bucks or whatever the amount was yeah, in and yeah. watch it together. And you know, everybody's a little drunk. People think they know what they're doing now because we're such hot shit. And then we just get our nuts slapped. That is so crazy. It's but. That's you what could that have predicted does. it. That's what that town does. They live and die off of that. That exact feeling. Yeah. Like it's the high. And Quit. I was quite proud of myself. I made it out with a 20% return. Nice. That's what I was focusing on was reducing just the loss reduction. And yeah. It was a good weekend. But man, that place is just a full of 100% dudes. Where did you, where'd you watch the games? Uh, so we watched... Well, in our room, sadly, one of them because we had a we we had a brand new bunk bedded bunk beds were in this new okay. suite at the Flamingo, which was pretty fun. I I think it was actually pretty nice. Um, and then we watched it at the MGM Sportsbook. Okay. Which the sportsbooks are fun. You got to pay to get in sometimes. Uh. And then we watched one at the pool. But there's so many games going on, and it's just so hard to kind of coordinate. And we had 12 guys. Yeah, different people who want to do different things. Yeah, everybody wants to do something different, and it just gets to be a clusterfuck. Yeah. It's just, it. we went there with 20 guys, which actually was perfect, because it was like, we had three different groups of people. Yeah. It's like, you could either go to a club, you could go gamble, or you could go watch Cirque du Soleil. No, we didn't do that, but that... <laughs> <laughs> yeah. 
that was uh, that was kind of the group. That's good. A lot of different, a lot of different personalities, a lot of different choices. It's bad when you get like seven and you're like, okay, you got to stick together. You got to stick together. That's Can't the hard thing is those numbers. It. Can't you go lone wolf in it. And then, and then everybody's gonna push to stay together. It's like a uh, huge fucking uh, push. Uh, what I respect is the guys that are like, fuck it, I'm going here. Yeah. And then like two or three little pe- people will fall. And then it, it, then people end up happier that way. When you do your own thing, you come mm-hmm. back, everybody's in a better mood. That's that's certainly for sure. The one hard thing about our buddies is they had unreal ex- unrealistic expectations about what to do in Vegas. They're like, I want a bar where you can dance where there's tons of girls. Uh, like, that that's doesn't not here. exist. No such thing. And they're like, no, no. We. What about, you know, like downtown... Minneapolis, like no, no there's no such thing. You're either gonna go, you go to take your wallet club. out and take out all the money and go to a club and buy a table, or yeah. you're gonna uh, go to a stupid bar where nobody is. Yeah, yep. There's the, really the no pool party happy is the only place where yeah. you could do that, but then you really have to buy a. We did. You have to buy a cabana. And... We bought a day bed. March Madness is the worst weekend. There was probably 10 girls there there's one bachelorette party <laughs> yeah. there and they were just focusing on them the whole time oh and the, uh, where yeah. they were like all right and it was the same girls dancing and like mm-hmm. they were in the middle and they were trying to get them going and so then of course all these really awesome guys go in the middle and try to just one up yeah. you know all yeah, these alphas you... try to come in and knocks down oh i'm gonna i'm gonna be the guy that gets the girl yeah it's really it was quite entertaining to watch well one of my buddies said that the Number one time to get a vasectomy is March Madness. Really? Because That's you're, interesting. You're not supposed to be able to have sex for a while. I don't know how long, but it's an extended period of time, like over a couple of days. Mm-hmm. And uh, the uh, the the wait list I heard at one of these minimally invasive places is like two years for, <laughs> for this, that time. for that particular month they book out march they book out two months two years in advance and i i heard this from a gentleman who has a tendency to exaggerate so take it with a grain of salt so it could probably, have been, probably could have been he maybe probably one couldn't year. book it that year so he was yeah guessed. yeah yeah that could have been it so but it, it makes sense you know you got uh something to entertain yourself other ways to expend that uh, testosterone and, <laughs> <laughs> you know, I mean, <laughs> yelling you and screaming at a television occupied. set oh my gosh the, I, uh, the way people cheer on sports i still am starting to just get a little more aware of it's yeah it's becoming i i wonder when there's gonna be a we're too, we're going too crazy. Like as a culture, we have no, it, put it, too much it, effort into it. It'll never happen because uh, the Romans what do yeah, you need I to control a population? Bread and circus. And, Bread and circus. And so the more the more um, you know outrageous, the more fanatical, the more fantastic. I think all the better. That's only as in everything as with nearly everything in life just have that more trend towards like ramped up intensity and intent you know Mm -hmm. Uh, and i don't i don't know if we will see soon we're gonna see beheadings on tv well yeah we already have when Mm -hmm. you think about it the whole movie you know the isis thing and like the reporters but uh the pendulum always starts to swing at the 
to the other direction and i think that's the question you're asking is when does the question when does the pendulum start to swing the other way Mm -hmm. and i always like to ask this if you think it'll happen within our lifetime yes you do you think it'll i think so i think here's the trend that i think happens i think we get so obsessed as a age group we put all of i mean i was i was literally like eating the sports section when I was younger. I just consume the shit out of all of it. Mm-hmm. Now I'm getting very turned off because I have spent so much of my energy on that thing. So I think it goes in waves of who spends the most energy. And once they get through the peak, then I think they're kind of out of it. Like I, I was talking to our younger brother who he said his friends aren't there's a couple friends, but he said they're not way into it. I have a lot of friends that are really into sports. Yeah, it's it's not much of a topic of conversation with some of my immediate friend groups. It is with another group of friends, but um, yeah, I, I I totally agree. That was always my thing about like what you pay attention to is immensely valuable because you don't have a whole lot of attention in the day, anyways. So you like, don't. are you gonna what are you gonna spend it on? But I will say. Uh, two documentaries that I highly recommend. The first one is called Senna. It's on Netflix. It's about a Brazilian Ayrton Senna, a um, Formula One race car driver. Mm. Oh, I've seen that one. I've skipped through it. Oh, man. Yeah, it's it's a little bit slow moving at, at times, but... Uh, it's a documentary. That really... Yeah, exactly. <laughs> that really uh, turned me on to Formula One racing. And then I started, I watched um, Drive to Survive, the 2008 Formula One season, like, sort of docu-series. Like the Amazon follow the Arizona Cardinals type deal? Basically the same thing, but for all of Formula One. Mm-hmm. And it, what's so interesting is it's way, it's so much different than um, anything we have in the United States. How so? The only racing brother I have it to compare to is stock car racing. Oh, yeah? <laughs> yeah, yeah. So, if you don't you, like it, you can get out. Yeah, so you're comparing like one of the, which first like of all. Winnebago racing. Yeah, absolute like drunk fest, you know, sort of people would say redneck or whatever, you know, like I don't have any problem with people who like NASCAR, but like it definitely has this sort of persona of it's more of like a Southern thing where, you know, they, there's less teeth than you would say at like, uh, you know, uh, a learn a, uh, a symphony perhaps. Um, one would, one, one I, might be, one here, might make a safe assumption. If I, you were I to think, do an analysis of, Teeth I think, per. I think if we counted teeth per. <laughs> teeth per face. capita. <laughs> teeth per face. <laughs> That's a pretty safe over under on that one being outside the standard deviation compared I think to we're a symphony. Teeth, teeth yeah. per face. I yeah. think we're doing pretty good. Compared to the Minnesota Orchestra crowd. Yeah. Uh, I think it'll be a little different. Unless all the wind instruments just decide to start removing their teeth for better playing. I don't know. <laughs> but <laughs> You never know. You never I still, know. Still in that case. <laughs> You still think they'd come out ahead? Yeah, yeah. Uh, we're making broad strokes, broad yeah. strokes, real broad strokes with little information. Something that we do really, really well sometimes. Yeah. So um, you've got you know that sort of racing culture here, and you compare that with uh, 
racing culture in Europe in the Formula One and it's high society. Okay. Class, class, class. You think about the pinnacle of Formula One racing, Monaco. I got invited to Monaco next year. Oh my God, are you kidding me? I got in... I, I, I can't tell you who it is, but I got invited to a yacht party. In Monaco? In Monaco. Because there's a big work event that's happening there is it during f1 uh yeah oh my god yeah you so have to go i know i know i have to you go you have to go that'll be a once in a life or hopefully like a every year in a life it'll, it will hopefully be a once per year but trip. but Continue, seriously sorry. you gotta watch this documentary because the sophistication of the technology that they're using is out of this world really the aerodynamics the skill of the drivers is insane when you're dealing with this much power, the margins for error are just absolutely minimal. Mm -hmm. And what you basically have is you have undoubtedly the best drivers in the world. Oh, yeah, for like, sure. Most talented. Most people. talented, skilled drivers on the face of the planet. And there's like three or four of them who basically, honest to God, right now there's like two drivers who are just the best. Like Mario Andretti type. Like they just are so far and away they're just They're just better consistently. And that's the crazy thing is like, yes, you have sort of a dynasty with like the New England Patriots, but that's a team. You know, Formula One, there is a team element to it as well. But because like there's the technology and, you know, the mm -hmm. pit crew and all this stuff. But to have a person that's like so far obviously just more dominant than everybody else it's just interesting so the to watch is driving it's driving mm -hmm. and and they, they go into this like i'd be really curious as to they, why someone is better oh I, it's, I think, yeah yep i, I think th the best explanation is in um senna there's a scene where uh, a gentleman is saying, well, this was before cars had like auto stabling mechanisms so that if you come out of a turn, because obviously you have to slow down a bit, you know, oh, if yeah. you take a, t a sharp turn. But I've been go-kart racing. Yeah. <laughs> Ayrton, and I actually, I want to get a big group of guys once and go to the go-kart track because I've heard we it's super fun. We did a party. It's fun as shit. Yeah, I heard it's super fun. So uh, Ayrton Senna, would just gas the car such that his car would like swerve because he would be hitting the absolute maximum pressure that the tires could possibly handle out of nearly every turn. So they said his car would dance all the time. So imagine if you were gassing it such that you're meeting the very edge of the car uh, when you're accelerating out of every turn. You're pushing the machine to the farthest to the, possible level exactly and that to me is what i think is so fascinating is people who know that machine so well and are able to push that machine to the absolute brink and uh, now there's you know all all of these other factors that make driving more safe and things like that but uh, uh and then you look at the history of the people who started formula one and they're just psychopaths course psychos driving I, well, in like yeah i mean modified shoe go. yeah modified like shoe boxes that go you know super Around fast with no modern turns. and have never had any consideration for sort of for safety whatsoever it's all like how fast can we go and then safety became a big thing when like everybody started dying 
So there was a period where a person would die every three races. Holy shit. Yeah. It's like base jumping. That Yeah, that insane. So some of those facts just really are interesting. And then you have the international component. So like, you know, they do these races in weird cities and it's just a... It's more interesting. Right. It's it's a global sport, which, what, I, which, I, which really appeals to me. What's interesting about Formula One to me is how it uses the land more than like a NASCAR race. Like the track are the Oh track, yeah, it's it's much more interesting and variable, mm, yeah. Yeah, yeah. And I think that like that's really interesting to me is how they set up the track and just like really push people to the limit yeah. rather than like, "All right, we're going to drive in a fucking circle 500 times." Yeah, but here's the thing about that Formula 1 the only time you're in a really tightly knit pack is like the start. Mm-hmm. And then everybody kind of, you know, is really jumbled for the beginning few turns. And there's a lot of damage that happens right there. And then you kind of get in this line mm-hmm. and then people make moves on each other, of course. But um, stock car racing is insanity in its own right, because you're basically driving in a crowded little circle with a bunch of people all the time at the same super high nutso speeds. So I like, mean, it you, does, it does have its, that's really interesting about it. Cause you think the, about like the sustained adrenaline of having somebody a foot away from you going close to 200 miles an hour for four hours or however, however hell the I hell mean, long there's like, a shitload of skill in nascar driving oh yeah those guys they're they're they are athletes yeah I mean, yeah i think it's a sport athletes of, i like don't a, know i don't know what you would call it if you couldn't call both of those racing a sport you just call it racing i suppose but that's like <laughs> yeah but why that, don't you just call it racing you, i think you just call it racing yeah because it really is just racing because it's so i don't know it's so different. But it is like really physical too. You're doing a physical task. It happens to be more dexterous, you know. Yeah. But but then then it's I like mean, it's okay, like golf well, would you football? There's yeah, or would you call surgery thing. a sport? That's like a physical task. So there's sporting some, elements of it. Yeah, there are, some guys treat it like a sport. <laughs> some guys treat it like a sport and they think they're the captain of the east. No shit. <laughs> Let's see if you can make the most money. <laughs> Uh, well that's all we got for you tonight folks tune in next week and we'll be back kicking it here in the rumpus room